Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now the theme of this whole missions conference is giving God the glory. And as we dive into 2 Timothy, we're going to see one verse that hits on that theme. But I wanted to focus this morning our time on somebody who, after his conversion and a face-to-face encounter with Jesus completely changed his life and gave God all of the glory with his entire life, which is exactly the example that we need to be setting for ourselves each and every day. So right at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this. It says, all scripture in verse 16 is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness, That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now there's a lot of theology packed into that one verse, isn't there? And what we'll see is through this whole letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, that in this next chapter, and we're really going to focus our time in in chapter 4 this morning, but I wanted 2 Timothy 3.16 to really sit into our hearts and our minds, because while Paul doesn't start chapter 4, verse 1, with therefore, he could have easily been written, therefore I charge you, which is the next verse. And so keep in mind in the context of everything that Paul is telling Timothy in chapter 4, 2 Timothy three sixteen, because that's really the foundation of everything that Paul's going to be talking about in his letter. So we're going to go through uh, a little bit of 2 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, I'll read it, and then we'll kind of discuss it a little bit, and then we'll work through uh, all se- or most of the 17 verses. And so if that sounds daunting to you, it's daunting to me too. <laughs> I'm the one teaching it. <laughs> so let's dive into 2 Timothy chapter 4, and it says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge at the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, as we go through kind of these first five verses, Paul is talking to Timothy about what Timothy's going to do. It's pastoral leadership. He's kind of following in Paul's train. He's taking over a church. And then you read verses three and four, and you go, boy, that kind of sounds like modern-day America, doesn't it? Look at that again. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Know any churches that might fit into that? But according to their own desires. Because they have itching ears and they will heap for themselves teachers. Or put teachers instead of the truth up on a pedestal. Now I know in Winston-Salem, kind of down south of southeast right now. There's a lot of churches that have almost celebrity pastors. And they will follow a pastor further than they'll follow the Bible. Whatever the pastor says is truth, 
wherever he's getting that. And it might have some scripture sprinkled in there, but it's not fully from the word of God. That's a dangerous place to be. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables or just good stories. When I read this, I just think of my family members back home in Pennsylvania that they know the truth. They know that there's one true and living God. They know that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. They know the forgiveness is out there. But they just want God to be love. They want to accept the love of God, but they don't want to accept the Lord and Savior, Jesus. And that just breaks my heart, that people will just turn away from that and say, no, I just want, I just want love, I just want kindness, and that's all that, that fills me. And then Paul tells Timothy, and I think this is a great encouragement for us this morning, but you be watchful in all things. Be prepared. For me, this is watching the news every night or reading the newspaper. It's not just intaking what we're seeing on the television every evening and going, oh man, the world is so terrible, what are we going to do? It's, sorry Siri, didn't mean to do that. It's more of, wow, sinners tend to respond sinfully when they feel sinned against, and that's our nature. How am I going to impact the world as it is right now? And this whole theme of missions and missions conference, one of the things that I always, from a 30,000-foot view taken out of both 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, is that we're all missionaries. Paul is directly writing this letter to Timothy as a personal encouragement, but God inspired Paul's words to have it in the Bible so that we could glean from it as well. And this is a letter for us today going, we need to preach the word. We need to be prepared in season and out of season to have a response to be able to kindly and lovingly correct or rebuke somebody that might be living in a life in sin. But you, in verse 5, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, just as Paul had. That's a, that's a two-word phrase. It's one of those phrases in the Bible that you just kind of read really quick and glance across. But then you think about the context of the Apostle Paul's life and think of all of the afflictions that he endured for the gospel. And then when you think about how he wrote those words to Timothy, everything that was going through his mind as he wrote just those two words. That's the one thing I love about Paul's writings is that every word has a punch. Paul, you can just tell in his personality, has love and passion behind every word that he writes. Do the work of an evangelist. Tell the people, tell others about God. Now, I could stand up here and say, you know, the typical Baptist evangelist message of, now, how many, of you, how many of you in here have someone in your life that you could tell about Jesus? And we'd all, like, begrudgingly go, yeah, yes, pastor. <laughs> we know that we have somebody in our life to tell about Jesus. But we also know that God has wired each and every one of us completely different. We know there are people out there that have no problem going up to a stranger and being like, hey, how are you? Do you know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And next thing you know, you're just filling up at the gas station, and you're like, what is this conversation? There are some people that are just gifted naturally like that. They get people to talk to them. I'm not one of those people. I'd rather sit at a coffee shop with a cup of coffee and 
walk through life with somebody and say, where are you at in life? How is that, how is that dictating what you're doing in life right now? And where is God in all of this? And that's one of the fascinating questions if you sit down with somebody and they're telling you this long laundry list of things that are going on in their life and most of the time it's usually not great things, right? Because we're not really good at writing down the good things that are happening in our lives. And they're telling you all of these long laundry lists of things that's wrong in their life. And let me challenge you to sit down across from somebody one time and just say, so where's God in all of that? And just see their response. It's not a question of, you know, you need to put God back into your life right now, young person. It's not that at all. It's lovingly and caring, caringly, if that's a word, <laughs> showing them that God is in everything. And even in the bad times in life, God is there. So endure the afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. And what I love is this is last three words here, fulfill your ministry. Go to the end. This is Paul's like last letter to Timothy. Paul's kind of at the end of his life and his ministry and all of this. And we'll see that a little bit later on where Paul's like, I'm still passionate about the gospel. I still think Jesus is the Christ and I will preach that until the day I die. But I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. You can tell that he's tired. He's worn out. And I wake up and I'm like, man, I'm tired today. And then I read something like this and I go, I got a long way to go before I'm tired and worn out from what Paul did. So fulfill your ministry. Be encouraged. Keep going. Rest is biblical. It's okay to take a nap, but keep going for God. It's okay to have a conversation where you feel like you're struggling. You don't know how to continue. It's okay. Find a brother or sister to talk to. Find that encouragement. Get into the word, but keep going on for God. And then what I love about both letters to Timothy, is Paul gets real. Sometimes we put Paul kind of like there's the Trinity and Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit, and then right below them is Paul in some of our, our churches, in our minds sometimes, because Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He was this great man of faith. And then he gets really raw and real here to Timothy in, in verse 6. He says, For I'm ready, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I'm going to stop right there because this challenges me in my personal walk with God when I sit down every morning or in the evening after the kids have gone to bed to to read my Bible. Do I have that much self-confidence in my faith that at the end of my life I could honestly and passionately say to somebody else that I'm mentoring at the time, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And there have been times in my life that I'm like, if the Lord were to take me today, I don't know if I could honestly say that. Because I've been trying to live for my own selfish desires or I've been chasing down something else that isn't of God. Keep the faith. Keep going. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul's looking forward to that moment where he's face to face with God and God is giving him the crown of righteousness that we, in the end, will throw back at Jesus' feet. But Paul, again, is so confident enough in his faith that he knows 
he's going to receive that. He knows what he's poured his heart and his soul and his life into. Now, to be fair, Paul did have a very clear encounter with Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. I don't think any of us can say that this morning. I think if we met Jesus face to face and he blinded us for a couple days, that would definitely change our life and our perspective for all of eternity. But that doesn't change who Jesus is in our life here in the New Testament church. Jesus still died and saved us from our sins. And yes, we have that hope and that eternity in heaven. But until then, we have a redeemed and restored relationship to live with God down here and bring other people into that family. So keep having those conversations with your family members, with your friends, with your coworkers about Jesus. It will not be in vain. Verse 9, be diligent and come quickly to me. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and he has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. Antichius I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. It amazes me that God inspired those words from Paul to Timothy, and it's in our Bibles today. Like, the simplest detail of Paul just saying, hey, Timothy, I forgot all these things that my last stop, and all these people have left me, but can you bring the books? Can you bring the parchments? I really, I could use those. Oh, and bring Mark, who I had an argument with earlier. We're good now. Uh, I, he's useful for me to min- in ministry. Bring, bring him too. Like the, that's such fine detail in the Bible. And to be honest with you, I've missed a lot of that detail when I just sit down and read the Bible, because I've fallen into kind of this modern U.S. Christianity occasionally, where you sit down and you just try to pull a principle out for the day. Right? How can I be kind today? How can I be loving today? How can I not be angry at my children today? Now all the parents are looking like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, it was a struggle to get to church this morning. Which, by the way, I want to say I felt very much at home within like the first 10 minutes of being here yesterday because I had seen at least three dads get this look. (laughs) And I was like, I don't have my son with me, but I'm pretty sure I'd already done that too, so I'm a good company. But Paul, on this overarching letter to Timothy, says, I've been abandoned by all of these people. And one he mentions was Demas for forsaking me for having loved the present world. There's somebody that Paul had in ministry, was walking with him, doing the work of the Lord, and the world just had Demas' heart more than God did. And we've all probably experienced a friend or a family member who has been like that. They, they knew of Jesus. Maybe they even had a relationship with God. But the winds of the world just it was stronger in their life than God was. And let me encourage you this morning to love God so much that nothing else could pull you away from him. How you care for your soul is so important. There's this big, trendy, psychological thing happening right now called self-care and treating yourself and all of these things. And quite honestly, a lot of that 
comes from the basic principle of what I call soul care. And that's taking care of, your, of yourself. But it's deeper than just going and treating yourself to something. It's, have you sat down with God lately? Have you truly tried to build the relationship with God? Or is your relationship with God just that heaven ticket? Because a lot of the times it is. Maybe you've lived a sinful life and you came to know Jesus and your life is completely changed now. You don't do many of the sinful things that you did and you know you know Jesus. But you're more than content to just sit in a chair or a pew just on Sunday morning and learn more about him and not have a conversation about him the rest of the week. And brother and sister, that's not going to make you lose your salvation. I'm still going to see you in heaven, and I am so glad about that. But we're called to so much more. This whole letter from Paul to Timothy is Paul, I mean, hammering into Timothy, don't give up, don't quit, keep preaching the word, keep going. Take care of yourself, but keep going. Keep God first. Obviously, our ministry is to EBI, and so when Paul says to Timothy, bring the books, I'm like, hey, that's kind of our, our mission, because we can, uh, missionaries come to EBI all the time, like, can you give us some books so that we can share it with everybody else? And bring a coat. That's such fine detail, it's just amazing. And then... <laughs> Verse 14, I kind of get a chuckle out of, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. If you ever needed a verse to let you know that the Apostle Paul and all of his grandness in the New Testament church was human, there's your verse. You also must beware, beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my, de- at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So in, in verse 14, you see Paul's humanity of, God, this man's soul is in your hands. Repay him for his bad works. And then in verse 16, you see Paul's heart for people. And it's beautiful, because when he was at his first defense, just like he had said in those verses past, everybody left him. He was completely abandoned, had no, no friends. None of his disciples, essentially, were with him. He was completely alone and abandoned. And what are his words for that? May it not be charged against them. Because Paul knew that they were out doing the work of the ministry, bringing people to Jesus. And then in verse 17... But the Lord stood with me. How many of you this morning can sit here and say that? Through whatever you've gone through in your life. All of these things. But God, the Lord, stood with me. And strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me. And that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.
And there we get to kind of Paul's crescendo of finally just giving God all of the glory for all of this. But let's focus in our remaining time this morning on God's faithfulness. He has stood with us. I, I used to tell teens when I was a youth pastor all the time, the longest distance that you'll ever travel in life is the 18 inches from, the, from your head to your heart. And I'm, I'm purposely going a little bit slower this morning because I want to soak in this text as much as I can. And I want you to soak in this text as much as you can. The Lord stood with me and the Lord strengthened me. Why? So that the message might be preached fully through me. Paul was so in tune with God and wanted God's word to be proclaimed so much and so far across the earth. Where was Paul's last stop? Where did Paul really want to get to in his missionary work? Pop quiz. Rome? Yeah. He wanted to get to Rome. God had called him to go to Rome, and he wanted to be in Rome. And why? That was the New York City of the, of the world then. Every nation was represented there. All business was there. It was a huge hub. And Paul knew that he had been called to present the gospel to the Gentiles. And where are the Gentiles at? Where, where is all the philosophy of the belief in other little gods housed at that time? It was in Rome. And Paul just wanted to minister there. The Lord stood with him and strengthened him so that the message might be preached fully through him. That all the Gentiles might hear. And then he also says, I was also delivered out of the mouth of a lion. And really that, I looked at some of the cross-reference verses there, and it was just him saying in a very literary way that Paul, Paul was delivered from a bunch of bad situations. God had just picked him up and pulled him out of situations and saved his life on countless occasions. Has God ever done that for you? Maybe it wasn't a necessary like miracle per se, but have you ever sat back and thought, oh, well, if I was in that situation, my life would be completely different. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. What I love is that God was faithful and stood with him, and now Paul's faith, even at the end of his tired, very worn-out journey, still has faith in God and goes from past tense to present tense and says, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work from here on out and preserve me for his kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. So this morning, I just want to ask a couple questions. I'll probably end up finishing just a little bit early but I'm sure that's not a problem for anybody here. (laughs) So my first question is, as we read this, and we're thinking within this question between Paul and Timothy in this letter, what is the key indicator that someone has learned something? What's the key indicator that somebody has learned something? Is it an answer on a test or a score on a test? No, it's, it's a change in a habit of life, isn't it? If you tell a little one that that's hot, don't touch it, 
and they listen, what do they not do? They don't touch it. They change their desire, they change their behavior, and they listen to you. And if they don't listen, then that's a whole other story and not fun for the next six hours. So when God works in your life, how has he changed your life? We hear that Jesus saves us and changes our lives. And for so many people I've found in churches all across America, they don't know how to explain how Jesus has changed their life. And if you're like me and you grew up in church and you were saved at a young age, thank goodness you don't even know what God saved you from. I mean, you could say what God saved you from, but you don't really know. I don't really know. I mean, I know I was still a sinner and I messed up and I needed a Savior. But I don't know really truly what God saved me from. But I know the reality of sitting in a living room praying with a mom and a dad for their young 20s daughter who is addicted to heroin and is running away from the cops and just hiding. And I know the power of God in that moment when God in a rehab center gets a hold of somebody and says, you're my daughter now. Follow me. And she changes her life completely. What a beautiful picture that is. And to see not only her relationship with God restored through salvation, but the relationship of her mom and dad on earth restored through that decision. It was beautiful. Not everything has that happy of an ending. That's the power of God even today. And if you needed to be reminded of that this morning, please let me tell you that God is still working. This book right here is still alive and well. Our Jesus is still reigning and on the throne and alive. God is working in Mandy and I's heart to go to Florida, to EBI, to help the Spanish church grow deeper in their faith. And one of my prayers for every church in America, quite honestly, is that they would grow deeper in their faith. When is the last time that you had a conversation with somebody that you loved and that you intentionally turned it to a spiritual matter? We spend so much time, and trust me, I love it too, talking about sports and weather and family and who's doing what now and what cousins wear and all of those things. It's good to know those things. Those are good things. But when's the last time you asked, where's God in all of this? So let me ask you, where's God in your life this morning? Is he sitting beside you in the pew ready to do something in your life? Or is he just kind of a symbol right now in your life that you're looking at and you get strength from, but you don't really follow? Lastly, let me challenge you to turn five regular conversations, just everyday average conversations. It can be at the dinner table, it can be at your lunch break, wherever the Lord has, and it can be with any age person, but just turn it into a spiritual conversation. And you can ask, you know, how is God in all of this? If they don't know God, you can ask, well, do you know Jesus? And trust me, that's a hard question to ask. There's a lot of emotion behind that. Because you might not be 
sure of how God has changed your life. You know that he has. You know that you're redeemed. You know that you're saved. But you're not confident in your soul of how God has changed your life. Dig into the word. Find out. Ask somebody else. Go to one of your brothers and sisters here at church and say, how have I been growing in the last six months? That's a really hard question to ask, especially with somebody that you see every week, right? Because nobody wants that truth. That can be really hard to take. But I guarantee you'll grow from that. It'll open up a whole new world of conversation and quite honestly, a whole nother depth of relationship with somebody else. If you want to grow in your spiritual life, you need to have a good, solid, daily conversation with God. And if you're like, God's not speaking to me, Yes, he has. It's right here. You've got to pick it up and read it. You can talk to God and pray. Pour out your heart. But he's already spoke everything in here. Listen to him. But then let that come out of you and go have spiritual conversations with people around you. I was used to tell my youth group kids again, I was like, I want you to share the gospel with five people this week. And, I, and here's where it, it kind of sounded crazy. But I wanted them to get the point. I said, I want three of those five people to already be saved. Because if I come up to pastor and I share the gospel with him, and I don't know him from Adam, what's the worst that's going to happen? He's going to walk away encouraged, knowing that somebody else cared for him enough to have a conversation about God with him. And what's lacking in this world overall is just encouragement, right? We're all kind of walking around like this. Oh, the world's terrible. Oh, this is terrible. Sinners are sinners. But God has come to save. So if you talk to five people and you share the gospel with five people this week and three of them are saved, the worst you're going to do is encourage somebody and remind them of the God's work in their life. And that's also going to get you practice sharing the gospel so that when you do meet that unsaved person that you've been wanting to share the gospel with for a thousand years now, notice that's an exaggeration, you're going to have more confidence to bring that up and talk through it. So all of that from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 4. And remember, if you ever have any questions, go back to 2 Timothy 3, 16, where we started. All scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine and instruction in righteousness, for correction, for reproof, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Good works don't save you, but God has given you a list of good works to do while you're here on earth and you're redeemed. Go live out that life full of good works and bring honor and glory to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house and to speak freely and for the freedom to study your word here this morning. Lord, we thank you for this church, its heart for missions, and really it's just heart for you. I pray that you bless each individual in this room. Thank you so much for the pastor here. Bless him. And Lord, just give us a great Sunday worshiping and giving glory to you because you deserve all of the honor and glory in our lives, individually and collectively. And Lord, we just thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.